There was no fear in Star City, Arkansas. No murder. No killers. Until now. There is violence we've ever seen. What's the story on this Star City thing? You think it'd be a wild goose chase if you went down there? Welcome to Star City, boys! For Chief Dale Dixon, it's the chance of a lifetime. Follow me! After 10 years of busting people, toms, and stop sign runners, I'd kind of like to take a crack at the big time. These are dangerous people we're dealing with. Get your hands up! Last night, some folks killed a Texas State Trooper. Looks like they're headed our way, boys. Yeah, I've never seen Dale this excited before. He's waiting on the bad guys. We can't wait for Christmas. But his first shot at the big time. I think he looks at y'all like you're some kind of heroes. Well, we're... We're far from that. Might be his last. We're gonna be cool. Damn, this could be a big one. We're gonna play it by ear. Somebody's gonna die. We're not gonna kill him unless we have to. Sometimes, the difference between living and dying is... One false move. That's how we're introducing him. <laughs> the dumpling hustle. The dump- hustle. <laughs> mm, I don't know. It's tough uh, to get all right. Well, well, we're not talking about Shark Tale. We are talking about an independent film that we were all, we've all been excited to take a look back at. Uh, welcome to a brand new episode of Reconsidimation. I'm John Diner. I'm David Munchak. I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and we're checking out how they hold up today. And it's, uh, you know, we're, we're getting back to the, the roots of the podcast here in 2023. We are, we're starting to look at movies that have been forgotten by time, that haven't had anyone really discussing them in quite some time. So I'm excited to talk about this week's with uh, One False Move. Ooh. All right. And we had, uh, coming off the holidays, we're having a very exciting January here on the show. We had Rocky Three come out. We had Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood, both fantastic episodes. If you haven't heard them, check them out in the archives at reconsideration.com. But, uh, but today we're going indie. And, uh, you know, this is the perfect example of what kinds of movies we want to cover here. So, and, and we're also going to talk back, talk about uh, our, our dear friend, Bill Paxton, who passed several years ago. Um, we did take a look back at Bill on the podcast, uh, which was what, back in the summer of 2020, I think? Yeah, uh, that's right. With Near Dark and Aliens, right? right. Yeah, yes. Near Dark, Aliens. We'd had Twister, Twister. and Navy Seals. Was was your simple plan? Was that part of Paxton? Simple plan was was, uh, was part of Winter Wonderland back uh, right. earlier in 2020. So se- separate from uh, Paxton Fest, but yeah, Paxton Fest of- is right around when I first joined as a as a like a regular host. This is true. Hmm. This is true. Uh, Lots to celebrate. Uh-huh. I'm excited. I'm excited, guys. <laughs> but yeah, let's uh, so let's talk about Bill. You know, this is a. Uh, this is an early uh, Bill Paxton film. 
I'm not early. I mean, he'd been around already, what, seven, eight years by this point, maybe a little bit more. But, uh, you know, he still hadn't really hit that A level yet. Like, I think he was still trying to find his way through Hollywood and and what his uh, his corner of the market was going to be. But, um, you know, he's had such an interesting career. And, you know, starting way back in in the early early and mid 80s with, you know, brief roles in, in the Terminator he shows up in. He's um, I mean, his first big appearance was really weird science, wasn't it? As Chet. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the first time I remember seeing him. Uh, he was that asshole older brother uh, mm-hmm. in that movie. Classic, and classic older tur- brother. Turn toad which is uh, super memorable. And that's definitely yeah. the first time I recognize him from. Yeah. You know, I, he's always credited, he's credited as being in Stripes. And I have scoured that movie and I've never found him. Um, I mean, supposedly he's just one of the soldiers, but I have not been able to spot him. So anybody huh. listening, if you've spotted him, hit us up on social media, throw us a screen grab. Yeah, definitely. I don't ever recall seeing him in there, but I'm sure he's just some background player somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. And and that's, you know, leading up to Weird Science, he he had lots of uh almost glorified extra roles. You know, he's in Streets of Fire, he's the the punk in the Terminator, but he does have dialogue there, but almost unrecognizable, you know, with yeah. uh that that like spiky mohawk, right? Yeah. Well, and don't forget Commando. Oh yeah, Commando, where he's like the uh, he's like the the um, computer operator, right, or the radar operator. Yeah, he, which which was the same year as Weird Science. That was like his big year right there. Because then the next year, eighty six Aliens. I think that's when it put him on the radar, right? Oh like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, eighty five was he finally got that boost specifically, really with Weird Science. That was uh, yeah, and a perfect role for him. Like he's good at. I mean, Bill was so good at playing lots of different kinds of roles but that asshole guy was yeah was a specialty so and it starts a weird science and and aliens is sort of almost hudson is is almost connected to that well, i was gonna say real quick if if we're if you were to scour the graduation stream scene in stripes mm-hmm. according to the internet he is a just an extra in there somewhere so oh he's one of the we, graduates in the back we gotta find it we gotta find yeah. the exact shot all right. non-speaking extra role but that's all i can tell from the internet right now i can't, <laughs> I can't even find a screenshot but yeah i'm sure it's out there somewhere oh, wow. anywho but yeah no uh bill yeah bill was he was one of my top influential uh, 80s actors from because i watched weird science over and over yeah and that was like the only movie i knew him from for a minute and then i saw predator 2 later and then I didn't see term the Terminator until probably ninety two or three after mm-hmm. I'd seen Terminator two, so uh, you know, and it's like, oh, this guy's showing up and everything, and then he kept he kept showing up and stuff. Yeah, I mean, he was everywhere, like really all through the late eighties and and all through the nineties. He was, it felt like <laughs> wherever you turn, there was a Bill Paxton movie, whether he was a supporting role or a lead. Um, he was there, you know, aliens was huge for him. One of his best roles, uh, and obviously great relationship with James Cameron that, that stretched over a really long period of time. Um, true lies, but continuing that. Yeah. True lies. Yeah. I mean, he did what technically terminator one aliens, 
uh, True Lies and Titanic, right? And then the uh, documentary, the the um, was it Ghosts of the Abyss or something? Ghosts of the Abyss. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Right. Um, yeah, he seemed to pop up in all the movies that I was really into, at least as a kid. I mean, even if there were bit parts like Terminator, you know, his face, the repetition of seeing his face and even the bit parts like made him just seem like he was in about everything at the time. And, you know, granted, again, it's just movies that I happen to be super interested in, like Mando and, you know, uh, Navy Seals and Near Dark and, and all these different movies. But yeah, he, uh, he just seemed to be uh, super uh, out out there, like just yeah, in a bunch and, of different things. And he like all. There's a better genres. way to put that than how I just put it, but like <laughs> he just he just seemed like he was in everything. I mean, he was in he was in all different kinds of genres. He didn't just stick in what he did: action movies, he did sci-fi, he did weird horror movies, he did um, you know comedies. Like I, I the first time. I mean, I had recognized his face, but the first time his name really started to sink in with me and that he became like really on my radar was probably 92, 93. Like I remember seeing Predator 2 Trespass, which is another really interesting movie we should take a look at. Um, And then Indian Summer, all kind of right in the row. And um that was when it hit me like, oh, okay, I should like I should know this guy. He's hmm. popping up everywhere. Plus, he'd seen him before in Navy SEALs, you know, the the classic, the the classic, classic Navy SEALs that everyone should see. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Tombstone in 93. I mean, yeah. since we're just throwing all his movies out there. Like this dude was in a lot of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then his, you know, small role in true lies, but probably the best role in true lies. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Like that, that comic relief and that, I mean, the movie has comic relief all over the place, but that's probably the best use of it. That character just so well done. I mean, is Twister really kind of the first movie he had where he took like the lead star turn, right? Like, I mean, because yes. in all those movies that we've mentioned so far, he's been a standout supporting role, but yes. like not the lead. And I feel like Twister's kind of the first thing that yeah, yeah. he, he carried. He, He'd been the lead or co-lead in a number of movies, um, but most of them smaller budget, smaller, you know, smaller in scope. Twister, yes, that's his ascension to the A-list and, you know, him becoming a top level talent. And and obviously that movie was such a massive hit. And uh, there will be a sequel, by the way, coming out. Is it next year or 25? It's coming coming out. Some, they're making it now, Twisters. Wow, that's Twisters. news to me, so I don't yeah. know when it's going. Uh, so that's Guys, happening. there's two of them now. <laughs> Get in the truck. We still got cows. Yeah. <laughs> we've got we've got many cows. Many, many cows. <laughs> moo, 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 moo. Twisters. <laughs> Twisters. I, if they haven't cast the part, David. You're in. I could do that. I'll do the news. <laughs> yeah, dude, definitely. But yeah, Twister, uh-huh. Twister is the movie that really put him, you know, to that that A level, and then following it up, you know, the next year with Titanic again, small role, but he bookends the movie, and and it's a, uh, you know, it's part of the telling of the story of that movie, and mm-hmm. and then you know again still continues the whole rest of his career with with interesting movies, whether they're you know 
studio picture, like bigger budget studio pictures, but then he does a smaller, you know, budget one like Frailty, which he directed as well. Yeah, that's oh, right. Frailty. Yep. Um, I saw that at the theater specifically for him, and I was like, he direct he directed like a horror movie yeah. or whatever. Like, yeah. okay, I'm in. Like, no problem. Yeah. Uh, obviously, did uh, did an HBO series called Big Love, which is where I I worked with him on that, and and uh, that went I, I think it, five seasons. I gave yeah. it two episodes, and I was like, I'm out. No thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it you know it starts in one place and it goes to a different direction, and you know we'll we'll leave it at that. But but solid solid performance uh, for Bill there, yeah. and uh, and then you know even even in a movie like in the later part of his career. The Edge of Tomorrow, great in that movie. Dude, that movie in general is freaking awesome. Yeah. But yeah, Bill I Paxton actually just watched was... that like nine days ago. <laughs> it's so yeah. good. So I re- good. I've rewatched in the last several months. It's yeah. like, I'm ready for the sequel. Like if yeah. it ever happens. Yeah. If they ever yeah. made it, that'd be great. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the last one that really stuck with me, or the most recent one before he passed, was, uh, was Nightcrawler. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, really solid performance. So all, all across his, you know, the eighties, nineties, two thousands, 2010s, he's got great roles in what is that? Four decades. Yeah. Who is he in Nightcrawler? I need to go back and rewatch that. I saw he that at is, the theater and then didn't go see it. And, and so he's like a rival, yeah. produ- rival character. He's like, the, he rival? He's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's That's like the rival kind of, you know, the competition. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, veteran, the veteran rival character to Jake Gyllenhaal's lead. Got it. So, but coming back to this movie, One False Move, let's rewind all the way back to 1992. David, you got it? You set the time machine? Oh, yeah. Beep, bop, boop, boop, boop. Boom. Chablam. Uh. <laughs> Ch- Chablam. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back like we need to oil up the time machine <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think it's it a little chunky maintenance it's a, there a little chunky in its startup we need to <laughs> we need to smooth it out but uh yeah so one false move it's a uh a one of the most i think renowned independent films of the 90s amongst a movement of incredible films i mean in our it lifetime goes, it goes clerks one false move and free Willy. And so that's it. Yeah. Free. Those are the top three indie <laughs> movies of the nineties. Three out of three. Uh, you <laughs> nailed all of them. <laughs> yep. Those are the three that I'd name. Free, free Willy. I'd really highlight. Uh, one false move is, is not a, I, I wouldn't say it's a popular film. It's probably one that I'm guessing a lot of listeners here may not have even seen. That being said, David, can you can you give a quick plot rundown? What's one false move about? Oh, one false move. This is a a clash between um, <laughs> cutthroat criminals in Los Angeles making their way, evading cops from one end of the country to Arkansas, where one a really excited cop played by Bill Paxton. Uh, one, uh, one, you know, the, the, the chief in charge is really excited to get a big case on his hands and shows a real enthusiasm, real enthusiasm for the case. And, uh, we follow the, the investigators and we follow the criminals as they all careen toward star city, Arkansas. And what happens when they get together? 
um, with a lot of crime and cop stuff uh, happening along the way. <laughs> you nailed violence. it. Crime and cop stuff. Crime and cop stuff. It's uh, it's it's one of those movies where like you know there's these like big name heavy hitter big characters who don't even meet until the end and yeah. it's like oh dang so you you know you there's anticipation the whole time it's tension it's a thriller it's 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 crime uh and violence it's uh unapologetic it's a little sexist and and misogynistic and racist but it's <laughs> of the time uh, i guess i mean it it's is, that yeah. it's it yeah, well it but but as examples of these criminals who do that uh, yeah it's know, part of the uh, story i mean the yeah racism it's not is, yeah i mean the only casual racism is uh the way bill paxton's young arkansas character grew up uh with no malice intended for how he speaks yeah but uh but other than that you know yeah pretty nothing i wouldn't say it's a problematic movie because of those elements mm -hmm. um, they're 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 sort of part and parcel of the story right and I mean, you're going to find this, of course, in any any decade that we look back into their films. There's going to be inappropriate language and and behavior by people that wouldn't fly today, but it's it was was what it was then. Um, directed by Carl Franklin, written by Billy Bob Thornton and Tom Epperton. So this we're going to talk about Billy Bob as well. So um, and if you're looking for more Billy Bob and Bill Paxton connections. Check back out our check back into our archives at reconcinemation.com to check out our episode on a simple plan, which of course will be later on their, in their careers. But uh, yeah, so when did uh, <clears throat> Brent? Let's start with you. When did you first hear about One False Move? Is it have you? Is it recent? Did you know about it back then? What do you think? You know, it's interesting because uh, I. You mentioned just a, a couple minutes ago how this is like one of the more, you know, influential or or important like kind of indie movies starting off in that thing. And and the reality is I hadn't really heard of this one, but I am very much a product of that like 90s indie film movement. You know, I mean, it's right when you and I were in high school and getting ready to go to film school. I, you know, I would say that the lesson plans in our in our particular film school were very heavily influenced by kind of the, the indie movement. You know, we weren't really, uh, I mean, we were obviously taught like how to work the, the, the equipment and, and make any kind of movie, but like we were highly focused on the artistry of, of mm -hmm. movie making. Right. And so uh, indie film movement just kind of fed right into that. I had not, heard of this movie or I probably had heard of it, but it had never really registered until we were getting ready for, for this podcast. And the first time that I saw it was just, you know, last week getting, getting ready and doing research. Um, it certainly took me back to uh, that time though, where, you know, uh, similar to how things are nowadays where people get super amped about the next Marvel, Marvel movie. Like there was a time in the nineties where, it was just as exciting for that next indie movie to come out. Like people were excited about, about what that next movie was going to be. Like it was a pretty big movement during that time. And so um, this is 92, right? So that's early on in that, in mm -hmm. that, but like, I think if you ask, 
10 different people, 10 different people are going to tell you, you know, 10 different combinations of movies. They remember being the most influential at that time. Right. And it's, yeah. uh, this one, uh, I didn't see, but certainly, um, it had influence on the ones that came after it that I did. I mean, Sling Blade being a prime example, one that I would consider, uh, you know, one of the bigger ones from that time period, uh, you know, was a springboard for, for Billy Bob, but he obviously was already doing it here and I didn't even know about it, right? Um, he got a ton of recognition for Sling Blade, but, but this one was completely off my radar, so... Uh, glad I saw it. It's, you know, it, 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 I got super nostalgic while watching this cause it took me back and I was like, shit, man, what are all the other movies? There are movies that are part of that, like movement for that. I don't think it talked about anymore at all. But like, if you look at a lot of the filmmakers today, they came out of that, out of that movement. You know, I mean, you're talking PT Anderson, Richard Linkletter, Darren Aronofsky, Quentin Tarantino, obviously is another huge one. Um, who is one of the leaders there, but, you know, Robert Rodriguez, El Mariachi was a huge oh, yeah. independent movie from yeah. that time. So it's like, it's, and that was, it's wasn't El Mariachi this year, 92 as well? Uh, I yeah, was. I think so. Yeah. Or yeah, 91 or 92, but it was like one of the like early, you know, like 92. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a handful that get talked about, like with great reverence, right? Like El Mariachi because of like everything that was able to be done. Like, I mean, there was like a full on action movie made with like a shoestring budget. Right. And I mean, made for like $10,000. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that one. And it's like clerks, you know, is another one that gets talked about, especially as a young kid getting ready to go into film school, like independent film and the movement made you believe that you could, really just grab your camcorder go out and make a movie which made it super exciting to go into film school because that's what we all did we just grabbed the equipment and we just made a bunch of shit you know and it was yep. it was awesome yeah that was uh i mean there's so many from that 90s independent film movie i mean that's the the i think the, the real peak in american cinema of of independent film was was that that decade really and and it starts I mean, they get technically it started with Sex, Lies and Videotape in 89 yeah. and kind of a real slow build up through 92. And then, you know, look at the, the indie films of 92, Bad Lieutenant, The Crying Game, Glengarry, Glen Ross, Juice, El Mariachi, The Player and Reservoir Dogs, which we also covered. Check it out in the archives at reconsideration.com. Uh, but all of those movies, especially, I would say, probably being led by Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, who would follow it up in 94 with Desperado and, and uh, Pulp Fiction, that there's so many movies. I mean, and they had such a big influence. You know, you, a couple of years later, you had The Usual Suspects, you had Kids, you had uh, Dead Man. You know, there's so many that just clerks, like you said, huge impact. Well, right. Like what happened? I mean, so you talk about sex, lies and videotape. I mean, even like Spike Lee's movies and stuff like oh, Do yeah. the right thing, like all those like yep. were happening kind of early, early on. And then there was the independent factor where people were just really like finding whatever they could, borrowing money from friends and family, credit cards, making their movies. And then the, the industry kind of got wise and saw, oh, well, there's a niche for this. Like people want to see it. And they 
you know, the big six, like all kind of created their, their independent, like art house subsidiaries, you know, like your fine line and your Samuel Goldwyn, you know, and like all these, all these other companies that then started to finance these things with smaller budgets, but gave them the, the leeway to make these kind of more character and plot driven movies that weren't like propped up by big budget effects and things like that, mm-hmm. you know? And so, um, so the independent movement kind of led into, you know, the industry trying to catch up and become, you know, try and get their piece of it. But yeah, it's like, and from that, you know, a ton of movies came out. Oh, yeah. I mean, people, people could argue that, you know, I mean, Pulp Fiction is probably considered one of the most like quintessential, like independent movies. But the reality is, is like that was produced by Miramax, which was owned by Disney at the time. So it's not like probably at the core, a true independent movie, but it's definitely an artifact of the independent move, like right. movie movement from that time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there there is a much more underground independent film movement. Oh that, yeah, oh, whose yeah. movies really don't see the light of day anymore. That are way more. Uh, I don't want well, to say to, extreme, but just more, just so much different than you know than your let's say your uh, Operation Dumbo drops and your sure. <laughs> My Fellow Americans and Sergeant Bilko's that are out there, you know, for mainstream audiences. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, what's interesting is today like that, and like, it's impossible almost to be an independent movie or even an, we won't even call it independent movie anymore. Like it's like just more of a character driven movie and, and have a big studio back it and, and distribute it at a theater because like, there's so much money involved, like they have to have hits. Right. And that's why like most of what we're seeing now are you know, sequels or huge big budget things, but streaming has opened the door like wide open for for kind of those more character-driven movies. Well, and that's why you're seeing that kind of, those kind of productions happening on a smaller scale, like with all your different streamers. Absolutely, yeah. A movie like this, and we'll get into it, you know, and, and in relation to movies that are, are made for home video you know, skipping the theater and going straight to video. Right. Uh, now there is no more straight to video because they're streaming. So that that's really what right. it is. But the quality is higher. You know, when you think about 90s straight to video, there's a quality level that you think of that is subpar, you know, B to C level at best. Um, yeah. Now straight to streaming, there's not a there's not a negative connotation with that. You know, the, the, the movies are intended to be that way and they're made with high quality still and um, and even can still have enormous budgets. Like, look at look at the gray man, you know, that was. Oh, yeah. Or Red Notice or. or Red, you know, yeah, I mean, exactly. So like cra- crazy budgets, like they're trying to to make those big budget streaming movies uh, and things like that. And I think, yeah, as far as like people give them a lot of credibility, the streaming movies, because I mean, look, you know, a number of them have been really successful. They're great storytelling. They end up on award, you know, coming out and, and, and getting winning awards during award season. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of my favorite movies of last year were streamers like Coda is, you know, for, for Apple last year, I thought was freaking great. Like I loved that movie, you know, I mean, that's one of many, but it's, you know, just off the top of my head, like that one was one that was, 
produced strictly for streaming and and was great and got a lot of like uh, critical acclaim. And all that's compounded with you know with COVID and the post COVID film oh, world yeah. has Fed right changed into so it. yeah so drastically so. But um, anyway, let's go going back to one false move, David. Yeah. When was the first time you heard about One False Move? I'm sure this is the first time you saw it. Why do you make assumptions like that? <laughs> I'm I'm often wrong. Like I, who do you I think you are exactly? <laughs> How uh, dare you? I think uh springtime 2005. I was at Blockbuster Video. Uh I went there. I always go to the new releases first and uh I was looking for Shark Tale. And uh, and then I, of course, I always go through like I go through the the middle of the store as well, just to give it a glance and think I I think I remember seeing like the box art for for this as a a a rental, uh, you know, and I was like, oh, the guy from Weird Science, and uh, and, but uh, you know, but I I didn't really pay any attention to it, so it hadn't really been in top of mind. And if you told me to name that movie, I wouldn't have come up with the title. So it was it was sort of new to me um this year and so you know seeing it for the first time um you know a, a couple weeks ago and uh yeah i i just did, i was not paying attention to the indie film scene as as you can tell I, I go to the i go to new releases i go to the mainstream what has 20 copies i want one of them uh <laughs> who's got will smith in it that's the one i'm getting oh there you, know? you go yeah so anyway yeah the, yeah so this was uh this was sort of a like it's sort of just like discovering it's discovering art from someone who's hasn't made art in a long time it's like oh wow what the hell is this this is this exists like it's not even like oh the movie i hadn't gotten around to seeing it's like oh i didn't even think this was made you know yeah. i didn't know this existed so it's brand um, new yeah so it was cool it was uh it's cool to to dive into 90s era paxton again uh and billy bob and uh and even uh, Mr. Beach. So, yeah. um, big fan, big fan of uh, the cast attached to this. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, and what's his face? Uh, uh, Jim Metzler. Oh, yeah. Jim Metzler. Yep. Who and actually Kevin. coincidentally also appeared in LA Confidential. Right. Did and, you miss uh, it? Because you can find it in the archives at reconsinimation.com. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was about it, though. So it wasn't, um, I had no idea. Yeah. I, um, I knew of this movie. This was one I had also seen. I, I saw the the poster in the video store in the probably mid to late 90s. I caught about five minutes of it on HBO, and it was like towards the middle of the movie, um, you know, one late at night on a whatever night, uh, just going through the channels. I caught about five minutes. I'm like, oh, this is, you know, Paxton and Billy Bob. This is This is late 90s where they were already, you know, quite popular um like yeah. oh man i i hadn't like i knew of it but uh hadn't seen it and i i marked it i'm like this got gotta watch this i gotta come back to this one fast forward to 2023 when i finally came back to it so <laughs> only took about uh 20 something years but you made it though i made it i made it but it was so <laughs> it was so awesome to see a like a hidden gem that was in there all this time that uh, at least, you know, we missed and I, I think a lot of people missed that and they, they haven't really come back to. And that's what's exciting about this. It's like it's something that's just been waiting there for us to discover it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And another another uh, one in the another 
notch in the in the list of uh, great uh, great films uh, by Paxton and Billy Bob too. So um, he was but, really good. I mean, he's evil as fuck in this, but man, yeah. he pulls that off so well. Yeah, I mean, I think part of what stands out about this movie, I mean, plot wise, there's not. It's not vastly different from a lot of 90s crime movies or crime movies in general. It's right. criminals, you know, do something bad. They're on the run. They're heading somewhere. There's cops chasing them, you know, and then they're all going to, you know, they're going to meet up in some kind of showdown. So yeah. the bare bones of it is not anything different. That, that story has been told since the, you know, 30s, 40s. Um, this is but it's the style in which this one is done that really made it stand out to me and it's it's just it's very simple carl franklin kept this movie very straightforward very simple right off the bat and uh you know the the criminals ray pluto and fantasia um who are played by uh michael beach billy bob thornton and uh and Cinda Williams. Yeah. They're fantastic. Like it is, it starts off so intense of them essentially doing a home invasion to friends of uh, uh, Fantasia's characters, right? Yeah. And it's brutal. I mean, they totally just totally brutal. Totally brutal. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're demanding to meet another, a, a drug dealer, right? Uh, then this is in set in Los Angeles and, and they, yeah, they're trying to meet the supplier, right? Of yeah. of this this low level drug dealers, you know, kind of connection. Yeah, I was not prepared for how brutal this this movie started no. out. And it's not like, in like, geez, and it's not in that like Tarantino kind of no, over no. the top way. It's very, it's very straightforward. It's very like matter of fact. You know, they come in, they beat them up, they tie them up, and then they they get the info that they want, and then they just kill them. You know? Yeah. It's not like, it's not cinematic, you know, it's like, it's, it feels very uncomfortable and it's just, I mean, it elicited, it certainly elicited like a, a very strong feeling for me where I was like, man, this is like tough, like yeah. shit. So it grabbed me. <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was in, but I was and it's, not expecting it. I think part of what bothered me so much about it is, is that it felt so real. Right. You know, when like, I knock on wood, it has not happened to me and I hope it doesn't, but like with these break-ins and, and robberies and, you know, there's no cinematic element to, to the re the real version of that. Like it's, yeah, it's brutal and fast probably. And, and, um, you know, violent. So, well, and, and what was, I think what grabbed me is that in addition to all that is that as they come in, like Billy Bob announces, like, I mean, he's brutal and he's kind of leading the brutality, but Michael Beach's character, man, like he's like, well, kind of well-dressed. He's un like, it's like, he looks like a college guy. Totally. And a very unexpected. Like I kept thinking he was the dude from Die Hard, the, the, oh, the like late the computer, Clarence Gilliard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clarence Gilliard. Like, I, I mean, just the way that he was presented, like very, like, educated and like seemed very like put together but he was cold man yeah. and just yeah. evil and it was like i just you know like you know what you're gonna get from billy bob he's like cussing and loud and 
like a, a bull in a china po- a shop ponytail. kind of situation. Great ponytail. Super, super awesome hair. Great, really raging Cajun accent. You know, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> you know what you're going to get. Like, he's a rough dude. Like, you yeah. get it. The other guy, Michael Beach's character, I was just like kind of enthralled with. Like, I just couldn't stop watching. I was mesmerized yeah. by, by him, his performance. Like just kind of the juxtaposition of what he looked like versus how he acted. And it was like, or, or his actions, you know, and it was, uh, yeah, it was really intriguing. Very interesting. Can you, believe a, can you believe a guy wearing glasses could be such a stone cold killer? Oh my I mean, God. no, <laughs> I mean, but it is, that nope. is what you see on Phil. Cause yeah. they never show you that. Like, yeah. so it's like, yeah, he's, he seems like a little more unassuming and, uh polite and part of understand social mores because he you know just sort of right and then he's just like nah i'm gonna murder some you <laughs> like you're dead i don't care like where's yeah <laughs> like, this, this is michael beach's greatest role i think hands down he's had you know he's had a really great tv career i know and he's had some good yeah. uh film performances as well i think true romance again check it out in the archives mm-hmm. reconsideration.com uh, was also this year, but uh, very yeah, different great role. In this. He's yeah. great in this. So good, so intense, so evil. Um, yeah, just he, he's like, I was actually afraid of his character, you know, and I was like, yeah. I d- didn't think I'd ever feel that way about Michael Beach. He's usually kind of a good guy, you know? Yeah, makes you not trust anybody. Like the well-dressed, nice-looking, buttoned-up looking guy, he's going to hogtie me and basically silently stab me in my kidney until i die no no thanks yeah i'm not gonna interact with humans anymore (laughs) yeah and billy bob is uh again who co-wrote the movie um is also great in his role but it's a little more obvious like he's the over the top villain he's the loud one he's the one who's uh you can read him a mile away whereas michael beach's character uh pluto you really you you can't read that one at all like you you really don't see that coming so um so it makes it and then you got fantasia played by cinda williams who is right away she's turned on her friends in the opening scene and led them to their deaths like also equally as brutal right. um you know, scary characters that were we meet right in the beginning, and then we we see our our uh, LAPD characters, um, detectives Cole and McFeely, who are assigned to the case. They're trying to track down the criminals who are now on the road, um, and they realize they're headed towards Arkansas, and they know they know where they're going and try to get ahead of them by meeting up with the local chief of police, Hurricane Dale Dixon, played by our very own Bill Paxton. That's right. And, you know, I think this is one of the great early roles for Bill. I mean, this character is so fascinating that he is, Hurricane is a great way to describe him, that he is a huge ball of energy, when the LAPD call him, he barely gives them any room to even speak. He just talks over them. He's just so excited. He's the chief of this small town where there really is no significant crime. And 
we see the the crime that does happen he kind of handles it really quickly and without he said he's never drawn his gun he's just yeah you know very very local small small town kind of mentality um that he is like but he is yearning for something more something more exciting and but he's never really been tested so the lapd officers are going to come there and wait for the criminals to arrive and then try to grab them so but the question is can you kind of contain hurricane before going off the rails and kind of screwing up the uh investigation did anything in this like the beginning moments of this like hell's or not hell uh of hurricane's introduction and getting involved in this bump you guys in any way there was something specific that bumped me and i just want to see like no i i nothing really bumped me but what what, what do you what do you see well, it's just an edit, like it's an order of an edit, right? So there's there's the scene basically where um, Hurricane, like the 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 L.A. cops are talking about, oh, we got to get this guy. Um, we got to basically chase down these these bad guys, right? And then they cut to Bill Paxton, and he's driving at night in his cop car, and he's like. Oh, I just got this call from these cops and I got to go check on this spot. And then they cut back to the cops and they're like in an office and they're talking to their their direct chief. And they're like, yeah, we called this hillbilly cop or whatever. And then they call him and they kind of interact and just something about the order in which that went back and forth, like just mm. kind of drew me out for a sec, like mm. like they cut to Bill Paxton and and him going to search and him mentioning talking to these people before we ever actually see the people that contacted him mention that they had reached out to him. So it just kind of like, there's, there was just like mm. this missing element for me where I was like, Oh wait, what did I miss something? What happened? But it quickly went away, but it just yeah. like, I noticed it and I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. Independent film. Sometimes they're mm -hmm. just, they're not exactly buttoned up, but yeah. like that, that little thing grabbed me for a sec, but I don't know. I just wanted to see if it, if you guys noticed or no, it, I, it was just I did not, I didn't catch that. Did you, David, did that bug you? I mean, sort of I, like I actually when the of him driving and it's like, Oh, they, he's just doing a little exposition for us. Like, you know, like him just doing his job or whatever. So I'm, I think it makes sense in terms of like, you don't want the first scene with him to be, him being basically a big dipshit about meeting these guys, you right. know, like, um, so, you know, and he's really only impressed. He's super impressed because the chief of police of Los Angeles, you know, yeah, who would exactly. be in, in the national papers all the time, you know, he's a, that, that guy's a celebrity. He's yeah. like, Oh my God, the chief of police of Los Angeles. Like, so I think like whether that's all of that's intentional of what we saw, or it was like a, an edit to like fix, you know, how we're introduced to him. Um, I think it's, I think it was done in the right order. Cause at least like, okay, he's a cop doing his job. Mm -hmm. And then, then we, then we learned that he's, he's like an insufferable, like dipshit. Like that's the yeah. only word I can think to describe him. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Cause he's so like excited about the whole of real crime and big city cops and all that, which is like, I don't even know if it's just like, is this insulting to small town cops? Like, I don't even know. <laughs> like, I think it's kind of insulting to bo both kinds of cops. You yeah, know, it portrays yeah. the, like it does, it portrays them in a real, but somewhat negative way. Each of them, 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think that's part of the story is that, that this is where they are when we meet them and we see how they've changed and grown by the end. So, yeah. Um, you know, and and after they we kick off the the story and what's going to ha- what has happened, what's going to happen, then we have what 45 minutes of pure character development. Mhm. You know, we have the criminals doing their road trip and and of course they encounter more trouble along the way. And then it's it's the it's Cole and McFeely, you know, working with Dick uh, Dale Dixon and getting to know each other and kind of feeling each other out and what are you know Cole and McFeely really up to because they're kind of letting him they're kind of placating Dixon, right? They're kind of letting him talk and letting him, you know, do his bravado thing and and uh, feel like he's leading the way. And they're just kind of hanging back until uh, and pacifying him until it's time for them to actually do something. Yeah. Well, they certainly expect like a colleague to like act a certain way. You know, I would say like his profession, Bill Paxton's or you know hurricane's professionalism isn't uh, isn't on show like you know but he's a law he's a lawman of his community like it's not like they have an expectation for being you know big city cops where you have to if you wear a suit and you're a detective or an investigator like you gotta tread carefully you know what you information you put out has to be very specific you, you know everything's watched where he's just hurricanes is this like freewheeling spirit they're just like what the like okay like they're they're also you know they're they're also jaded and you know they've seen it all like you know in in a city like los angeles they're gonna have seen yeah very violent crimes they're gonna have seen lots of different kinds of criminals whereas dixon's really seen almost none so he's got that boyish energy and they're like just like enough man <laughs> yeah but like they well, they the, they tolerate them too until you see the scene where they're making fun of them like you wouldn't even guess that they like that they're they're the way they are because like but they're just used to meeting all sorts of characters so they're just kind of like well this guy's a character until they like actually sit down and make fun of the guy uh and he's you know. right behind them no, yeah it's, hard, yeah. it's heartbreaking yeah yes. poor guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> Paxton plays that scene so well of just that silent. You can see his heartbreak, you know. Yeah, it's it's like isn't there a Simpsons episode with with Millhouse where his you can actually where I think Lisa says you can actually see the moment his heart breaks. Yeah, oh, that, well, uh, I, that's with Ralph. Ralph, uh, with Ralph, the, yeah, yeah, with the Valentine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Why would what? I know that? <laughs> yeah, I also like that he addresses it. Like, I think at, because at the end of that, at that moment, when they're about to leave, he's like, you know, hey, guys, sorry, I didn't mean to put you in a bad spot or whatever. I like that he actually addresses it and doesn't like just walk out kind yeah. of head be- head between his legs or whatever, you know, like kind of sulking like, he, yeah, like he stands up and he's like, OK, you know, I heard you. Yeah, because that's you. That's humiliating. If I. If yeah. I heard that, I that's it. I'm leaving town. Like I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, I can't face these guys. <laughs> well, and and it's that that really motivates him to do what he does at the end of the movie, right? Yeah. He yeah. really wants to. He's gonna prove himself to them that he can yeah. handle this. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, I think yeah. Without that, without that humiliating scene, I don't think we get the the ending of the movie that we got, like right. or the yeah. way it all came to a head. I mean, particularly that, like we learn in the last, the, you know, the last hour that, you know, he has a history with Cinda Williams' character Fantasia. Right. So, um, well, we also learn we also learn what her motives are behind. Yeah, I mean, the, the this, real you know, the real movie reveals itself the real story reveals itself in that third act like it's yeah. really not towards the back third, in last, arkansas exactly like that last 20 minutes of the movie where everything really starts to come out and then you really had no idea what the real underlying story was until it uh shows itself yeah do you think that gives it enough i don't know enough time to breathe like with um, it, I felt it <clears throat> like it doesn't necessarily take me out of it, but also like it feels almost a little parts of it, elements of it feel almost a little throwaway to me. I think that is, I think it feels that way because really you're dealing with a, it's, it's a first time filmmaker, you know, mm -hmm. I think, I mean, this is Carl, Carl Franklin's fourth movie, but his first theatrical release right which which we will come back to but uh and i think i think it's just not having you know po fully polished that i think a, a, a years later carl franklin wouldn't have done it that exact way yeah okay um i think it's just being a newer newer filmmaker yeah i mean i think it works like i like that a lot of the reveals don't happen until later i like that it develops into into the third act, but I also feel like there are moments of it that are like probably pretty significant that also just don't get a lot of time to be significant. Yeah. There's, there's the, and, and if I didn't read a synopsis of how that, you know, his girlfriend's coming to town is one of the uh, thing like that her essentially hurricane is a small town cop and his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend's coming. But like early on in the movie, we see him noticing Byron, who's yeah. his son, and with um, with Byron's uncle or Cinda William Fantasia's brother, you know, uh, I wouldn't, I would, I'd be like, huh, they have a history or something. Like he knows who that he knows who they are, but you'd have no idea that you still don't know for another hour and change that that she has a relationship to those people. So, see, I, I read that that scene differently. I read it as a racial scene the first time he sees Byron. Totally. That, because that he's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's eyeing them because they're black. Yeah, and they were coming out of the small white Arkansas or... town. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, what are they, you know, yeah, it's a little kid, but he's more looking at, you know, the, uh, the other character, the adult. Yeah. And he's suspicious of them. That's how I read that. And then it came, obviously, the, the real story came out later that yeah. he had had this, you know, he's had this history with Fantasia and that kid is actually their kid. Yeah. And um, it, yeah, which, I, he, I, which he denies. And I got, I, but I was ruined by that because it, it's literally the synopsis when you rent it on one of the sites, like, Oh really? I didn't I'm like ex-girlfriend. I'm like, that's not even the main thrust of the story until the third act. Like, yeah, no. And that kind of, that's a spoiler. I feel like that's yeah, a spoiler. That's, like i and of course it's written to like oh well there's a love train because you have to throw in a love story and a synopsis if where did you rent this from screw those people <laughs> i don't know i think i remember i think it was amazon 
or something. Yeah. So, you- but but I think yeah, if if reading it blind, that scene, yeah, totally like, like he's a racist cop, and then, or you know, yeah, and then that's why when you like, is he hiding something this whole time? Because even when he at he let slips the n word in front of another cop, uh, in McFeely, front of uh, yeah, in front of McFeely, um. Earl Billings character like that and Billings just laughs because he's like this like hayseed southern guy (laughs) doesn't even he's saying it so casually in front of me and he doesn't even notice like that's that's how he that's how you even know like oh yeah this he's just a good old boy that doesn't even mean it like yeah doesn't he doesn't know know better you know know, his wife his wife has to kick him which again and the relationship with Hurricane and his wife is so like it doesn't get enough attention but it's so like fraught of like between them like he he's got such an ego problem with his career and his choices and i think it might hint to the fact that like even he had an inappropriate relationship with a 17 year old woman who you know that uh while he was a cop (laughs) like does it point to like did he did he want to be with her like did he you know, was she the long lost love? You don't get into it, but you got to get the sense that like right. he was upset that she left, you know, and, you know, but, but he was married at the time. He had a daughter at the time. Like there's a, it's a very complicated so many questions. Thing. Yeah. And it's just like, eh, we're not going to talk about it. Like, yeah. It seems throwaway. Right. But it yeah. seems like it's got so much more depth to it. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I think there's layers to every character that they're just like, we don't have time to get into it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. this is really, <clears throat> this is really something I actually, you know, a lot of the movie is slow paced, right? It starts out big, slows down for the middle, whole middle part of the movie and then picks up right at the end. I could see something like this as a, you know, a six episode, like, you know, one season miniseries. Sure. Yeah. That, you know, but it, you can really explore these characters because we don't even get into we don't even really get into Cole and McFeely like they're yeah. anything about their characters other than their big city cops who are, you know, fish out of water type deal uh, mm-hmm. here in Arkansas. But, you know, I'm sure there's a whole history there. So, David, why don't you get to work on that? Get the uh, pen and paper out and write the prequel, write the prequel. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Cole. It's Dud and McFeely cops, super cops. <laughs> Uh, I think it should be a trilogy also. By the way. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I at at a minimum. Uh, uh, yeah. And so the ending of the movie, I loved, I love how this story came together. Well, you know, the, the real story unfolds about the, you know, the backstory between Fantasia and Dixon. Um, each of them has broken away from their group, Right. Hurricane broke away from from uh, Cole and McFeely, mm-hmm. and Fantasia is broken away from Ray and Pluto, and she's got all the money. Um, and they're at this sort of a hideout that only that only Fantasia and Hurricane and I guess Fantasia's brother know where it is. It's this remote house that um, you know they can finally have their. Is it like a grandmother's to... grandmother's house, yeah, something yeah, like something that? like a fr- that. A friend's friend's grandma died, or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So she's hiding out there. He he follows the brother to the place, and that's where he confronts. You know, actually, they sort of confront each other, 
yeah. and we get really into their characters and um it all kind of leads to the big shootout when Ray and Pluto finally show up and Cole and McFeely still are trying to find the house and they're <laughs> using Byron, who's what, six years old? Yeah. yeah. To try to Sorry. remember in this, you know, backwoods of Arkansas, what road they went down to get to this house. And he got and, it wrong. He screwed yeah, it up. Yeah. Uh, and what, what do you think about the shootout at the end? How, how do you feel about how uh, the finale went down? I didn't like it. You didn't like it. You did. You have all these big characters throughout the whole movie, and they spend like 20 seconds with each other, and most of them die. I'm like, oh, like we could have had like, and, and I don't, I'm not saying there should be a different movie made, but like, and I, it's so 90s. It's just like it ends like, boom they're just violent people and they're gonna shoot each other and they you know just everyone dies and the tragedy's there and it's it's all about dixon i I don't know i just i would have loved to seen i would have loved to seen the criminals like especially like pluto with michael beach's character like just like you gotta be smart about this like like you know there's cops here like what are you gonna like there's there could have been a better like i i I would have um preferred more between these main characters like coming up against each other but it's just swift and ends quickly and it's just oh that's like and i get it it's the inevitable end they they were always going churning toward that moment but they didn't even get a chance to have a have a chat Mm -hmm. (laughs) like and so i i was not a fan of it only because of you if you like there is room for more drama there uh for these opposing forces and um you know that's what I just would have liked to have seen more, but um, so like the ending, like that ending of the movie kind of just like kind of ruins the rest of the movie. I'm like, Oh, well, all right. huh. but other, I mean, it's, you know, it's a good movie going up to that, like, or, you know, it's well executed, but I didn't like the, I didn't like the, as soon as they came in, I'm like, Oh, okay. You feel, you yeah, felt like I you feel, knew where it was going. Well, I, I was hoping for something more, and then it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, no, they just start shooting each other yeah. and killing each other, and it's over. And uh, I don't and know. I, just, feel, I, I feel stinks. I feel different about it. Like I kind of like it. Like I think that if I'm it saying was directed by like a Quentin it, but... Tarantino, like it would have just been, yeah, over talked, you know. And I, I like, you know, it kind of had a once upon a time in the West sort of feel. Like mm-hmm. the whole movies, this buildup of these of these groups coming together and then when we get there it's like it's you know all the all the build-ups done let's like get down to business like we know what everybody's there to do we yeah. know whatever where everybody's coming from and like what their stance on things is like none of that's been hidden what do they even need to say to each other like mm-hmm. they they know what side of the fence they're on and now let's let's go you know and like why why draw it out i think drawing i think I think not drawing it out it does it more makes it more interesting for for me in particular. Sure. But but uh I mean I I get it. Like I think I think most of the time you would get it the way that you're describing David where there's like kind of more and there's like kind of this you know uh dialogue and build up and like kind of jawing back and forth at each other to build the the tension, but I feel like that's the whole point of the movie up to that point is 
up to this yeah. point is to is to build that tension. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it, it and I think and I think things have have. I think storytelling in film is like changed a little bit there. You'd want to see that like that, like, all right, like not necessarily every, like, could the bad guys win here? Like, mm-hmm. instead of just everybody just start blowing, like blowing each other's heads off. Like, you know, I was worried I, that they were, you know, well, I was yeah, I mean, for old hurricane once he's yeah. like, once she, once she goes behind the house and he, it's just him there. And then it's the two I'm like, well, I'm like, oh, she's going to pull a gun and shoot him. Like, yeah, like immediately, that, and, or you know, you have like I, I didn't know it was going to happen. It was yeah. a very tense scene. Like I, I get it. Um, uh, 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 so uh, yeah, again, I'm I'm like wishing for a movie that wasn't made. Like sort of a you know a scene that didn't that wasn't intended. No, but to totally valid. Sure. I mean, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. I am. I also I, I really enjoyed the scene the way it plays out. I mean, I think you have that tension of he's he's overwhelmed, uh, or he's outnumbered. And where are her loyalties? Are her loyalties with him in their past, or is it with her? You know, with with Ray more than Pluto. I mean, she we see throughout the movie that she's really afraid of Pluto, but um, uh, with Ray, her her current boyfriend that she keeps coming back to. So, and we do see her turn on Dale uh, at the last minute, and. Um, and that leads yeah, to her I, downfall. <laughs> right. And then immediately karma comes comes back together. So yeah. uh I was just appreciative that there was no Mexican standoff in <laughs> that, right. that was such the, a that's 90s, the Tarantino version. Yeah. yeah. I mean, had this been had this really come out after Reservoir Dogs, then we might have been different. But uh um, you know, so many nineties crime movies have that mexican standoff moment that i would love to just never see that again in a movie but uh, um yeah i really i really like how how the film ended up and and then how it comes around uh coming back to his finally dale's finally accepting of acceptance of byron and their really and it ends on their relationship and we don't know what that is you know uh we don't know how long their future together is going to be it could be another minute uh or or maybe he's gonna you know get taken to the hospital and have sort of a somewhat of a happy ending but um where we're left kind of in an unknown position hmm. and that, yeah but and that, and that like for 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 what we've seen and and the intensity of all of it like that's why that's why like you need to tell stories like this probably in in an independent film way like you can't go for the hollywood ending or you can't yeah. have the trope of these scenes where all right well now we got our stars and now they've got they both got guns and who's going to live so you know that could be you know and that might be a prep like for what I'm saying I want maybe I'm just used to that and it's just like and again I acknowledge the point of it like they are there are two competing forces that are coming to a head and there's you know there's no stopping it so why are we going to waste time dancing around it like yeah. it's going to yeah. it's going to be like the rest of the movie which is like visceral brutal like not glamorized you know it's just like murder death murder killing you know high emotions all that so i mean it's consistent within itself yeah like it totally works within this movie um so yeah like i don't know yeah maybe i'm just a victim to 
give me that Hollywood ending. <laughs> well, uh, and I also like how Cole and McFeely really did nothing. Once yeah, they, they got non, to Arkansas. Non-factors. Ultimately, you know, it's their case and they're they had and a that's picnic. Right. If they did have a really good picnic. A barbecue, um, sorry. Yeah. The uh But that was at uh Hurricane's house, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They drank a bottle of Bushmills and I don't know how many cores A lot beers. of beers. Yeah. <laughs> like those three boys were drinking like champions. Yeah. Like wow. Yeah. They uh but ultimately they don't factor in at all. And they're the ones, you know, who are really saying like it's their case and they're gonna they're gonna be the ones to take care of it, contrary to what Hurricane Hurricane wants to prove himself to them and show that he can handle a big case and forces the situation really. And there's no way for them to even get to him and they just don't know where he is. So yeah. Um, well, yeah, like Dud tells Hurricane, like you can be as involved or not involved as you want. And uh that actually is true. Like he got he got right in there. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I think you're right. Like it's that that's what makes the script so good of like you know, these city cops were, were looked at him. He had no idea. They looked at him like that. They, he thought he saw, he was seen as an equal mm-hmm. and, but he was just so excited about it. He has no, he has no idea. And so when he's basically looked upon as like the runt uh, little brother of, of, you know, police <laughs> enforcement or law enforcement, he's like, all right. And I'm going to, I'm going to go, especially with the connection with Fantasia. It's just like, well, I'm going to, he takes the lead and goes, yeah. you know, balls out on it. So it's like, yeah, uh, that's like, like the script is really solid. Like yeah. from start to finish in that, in that way. Yeah. yeah you forget um, that Billy Bob Thornton was a really good screenwriter. I, I don't know what the last script was that he's written. I don't think he's been credited as a screenwriter for quite some time, but I think he did shark tale and uh, Oh my God. Shark tale 3d. <laughs> love you some shark tail just one and three he didn't do the second one <laughs> exactly <laughs> but this is his first like studio picture right? yeah or, well or not even it, i mean not it's studio his, but but this is his first theatrical movie and screen credit that yeah. you know they had been shopping this around since i think 1987 hmm. and he really uh, isn't credited with anything this and sling sl- sling blade right I mean, he's did I got say a sling blade. You did. You sling did. I mean, blade. He's got a couple other credits, but like nothing that like sticks out. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, the last Ooh. thing he was even credited for at all was in 2012, with a written a written by, mm-hmm. which was Jane, what Jane Mansfield's car. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But he could be he could be script doctoring stuff uh, that we never know about. Definitely, you know? yeah, could be. Yeah, yeah. Um, like who? Like who? Who did that? It, that was uh, Tarantino did it. Tarantino, Tarantino did was it a doing lot. a lot of a lot of the big names. Yeah, did it, right? yeah, yeah. And for a lot of it, for legal reasons, they end up not getting the credit, and for the Writers Guild, it's just they they end up doing some patch jobs. So but they get some good checks. Yeah. Oh, they sure do. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Billy Bob was not not a star either. I mean, he was less of a star than Bill Paxton for sure. At this point, uh, mm-hmm. he was really floating around, uh, you know, TV and some low budget, low, low budget films as an actor. Uh, he was, in, he was in chopper chicks from zombie town, 
nice. for the boys with uh, <laughs> with Bette Midler and uh, a movie the first time you met Bill Paxton, which was on the dark backward. So, you know, not nothing really of massive significance going on for him while he's writing this script, uh, which eventually gets picked up by IRS releasing, which whose logo I just I loved, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, they actually optioned the script from from uh, Billy Bob and, and uh, Tom Epperton for one dollar each. They just oh, want to get, wanted to get their movie that. made. I'm jumping back real quick, uh, but do you remember? So another movie that that Billy Bob was credited with, John, uh, 2001 movie called Daddy and Them. I sure do. Do you, do you remember that? That sure movie. Do. Yep. Saw yeah. that at a little screening in New Mexico because uh, I think Billy Bob was there shooting. Uh, All the pretty horses, All right? the pretty horses. That's yeah. right. And, and after the movie, we uh, were outside talking to Billy Bob and. Uh, I don't remember be... how we got invited to that screening because that was a that was a preview that was like they want for you know the audience feedback and I thought it was through to... the school that'd be through your school right yeah like, yeah had students? to be yeah yeah but uh I remember and this is probably too much information but I remember using the urinal right next to Mr. Harvey Weinstein who mm -hmm. uh in the movie theater bathroom decided to he's very gross gentleman start smoking a cigarette right in the bathroom like he owned the theater yeah like it was nobody's business well Just that's like that's the least uh of his uh offenses <laughs> oh i know but, but yeah but <laughs> jesus you know that's great what a yeah while you were doing that i remember being in the lobby with uh, the rest of our uh uh, what, what do we call our group, David? The Santa Fe, the, the loonies, right? <laughs> Probably, yeah, yeah. Once, uh, you know, once we saw Predator, we, I like, I realized that they stole the name from from your your, <laughs> yeah. your group, the, the Predator. Yeah, uh, yeah, the Predator. Yeah, yeah the, the rest of our loonies were were in the lobby, and we had like kind of surrounded Billy Bob, and were, you know, just like yeah. he was being super friendly and chatting with everybody. And then it's really nice. <clears throat> it was my turn. We were like one by one, like saying something. And I was like just stepping up to him when Harvey came up and just grabbed him and pulled him back in the theater. Oh, <laughs> like, well, that's all right. I, I'd have another chance to talk to Billy Bob. So, yeah. Um, Sorry. The, I, the, I know the pushing I, I went tin premiere. The... <laughs> yeah. I went Sorry. backwards there, but I just wanted to. I just saw that and I was like, oh, yeah, we saw that movie together at a yeah. screening. You know, this is like pre Billy Bob pre Sling Blade is a different Billy Bob than post Sling Blade. You know, he looks different. He, you know, he drops some weight after that and, you know, loses that. It changes his hairstyle, like everything sort of his whole look kind of changes. So this is uh this is the version that I remember from a, a TV show called Evening Shade, and mm. he was in uh, Tombstone, another. So he's worked with Bill Paxton oh, yeah. four times at least. Dark Backward, uh, Here with One False Move, Tombstone, and A Simple a Plan. A Simple Plan. Yeah. I forgot <laughs> about him in Tombstone. Why wasn't Bill Paxton in Armageddon when they could have been in space? That's together. a great question. I could have seen no. Bill. Bill could have handled that lead role. I would have loved to seen Bill as the yeah. Bruce, the Bruce Willis. That. Yeah, but we, you know, Armageddon, right? Just gets you every time. 
just cry, yeah. cry, cry <laughs> like a baby sense. every time. <laughs> <laughs> I like him in uh, Bad Santa. Uh, I'm a big fan. Big. Uh, oh, well, yeah. Billy Bob had an, a, a great career also, and just which uh, that is that should probably get into your Christmas movie rotation. I don't know Bad Santa. Doing. Yeah, we'll put it there on the go. list. Yeah, that's it's funny. John Ritter, one of John Ritter's last roles. Bernie Max, one of Bernie Max's last roles in yeah. a sense. Yeah. We should Boy. get more John Ritter on the show. We should. Oh, well, real men? I mean, real men. Oh, yeah. real men? Come on. Put, David, put it on the list. Pro- real Bo- problem, Ch- problem child. Oh, stay tuned. Come on. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Anyway. Uh, uh, overall, I love the whole cast from this movie. You know, we talked about Michael Beach, just one of his best. Cinda yeah. Williams, who I wasn't familiar with. I, she's on the poster of this movie. It's it's yeah. her face on the poster. So, um, you know, really solid performance from her. And she, uh, she really, she, I really liked her character. I really like, I, and her character is as bad as, you know, she's a murderer too. Like it's her yeah, first murder, right. I think, but you know, she, and she, but she led to the deaths of her friends, like for really, to be honest, small time, like, you know, mm-hmm. just, how much cocaine is that really a couple hundred thousand maybe yeah. like 200 000? i don't know i don't know what the street value is at the time but it's just like you led to the deaths of like seven people and then even more people died because of that and all you want to do is get back to your your kid like d- damn why don't you just like raise money for a bus ticket like what yeah. are you doing right <laughs> like um, it didn't have to be this way yeah. And like part but and part of the allure of this movie is like it doesn't matter how these characters came together. It doesn't matter. I mean like she's clearly like with Ray, like they're together. Um but like what everyone's motivations are are like a real mystery and like and at least that kind of um and that kind of consistency again points to the fact that like you know you don't have to show and tell everything about every character to just get to a point where their intersections uh, aren't explosive. So mm-hmm. again, I'm like, well, yeah, I want to know more, but that's not the point. <laughs> I'm telling you, limited series, I'm telling you. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Maybe Hulu can can uh, order it from <laughs> this from some some studio. Yeah, there you I go. Would want to put it out there. Hmm. Um, do you guys feel like this is a uh, film noir? I think I think it is. Huh. It feels like this to me. It yeah. feels like a combination of noir, noir, and a western. I, I mean, kind of. I think with that, the inevitability of 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 bad people doing bad things or mm-hmm. regular people doing bad things, like because that's what Hurricane is. He's just a regular guy, and then he just we learn he's done some bad things, and then he does some even worse thing. I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, geez, it's yeah. a lot about the darkness of these characters. You know, yeah. obviously, any crime thing. A crime story uh, you know you can sort of question whether where it is on the scale of noir or not um but i think yeah like with with everything sort of heading to an inevitable confrontation feels very noirish to me M- modern noir obviously but mm-hmm. uh you know we should have maybe we should have thrown it into noir vember 2023 but but do you here. feel like i feel like it's missing that 
Like there's I just not mean that... there's elements of it. It's yeah, yeah, not... there's definitely yeah. elements for sure, but it doesn't have like that damsel in distress that sure. lures some no femme fatale, no unsuspecting like. Well, is she though? Is Fantasia we... femme fatale? We learn more about Maybe, her. Maybe, you know? but like she doesn't. She doesn't. He was using them the whole time. But it's like opposite, right? Because she. Well, but but that's kind of what Barbara Stanwyck's doing in Double Indemnity. I think you she's know, got she's... more going on for her than than all that. But like, sure, she but she's ha- playing but all sides. She's got. She has an agenda that that doesn't align with what what Pluto like, and Ray were doing. But like, who's like the patsy? You know, like who's like the. I don't know. Oh, well, I don't I, think there's, there's a one to one. She stole the she stole yeah. that money. Like she stole the fifteen thousand in cash that they had on hand. Like she only needed a you know a couple hundred bucks for a bus ticket and a and some lunch. Right, lunch but we ga- never and feel, lunch gas and tolls. We never uh, feel bad for Ray, right? Like, aren't we supposed to feel bad for the Patsy? Like, aren't we supposed to be like he's like a ever no. like kind of a your average Joe like kind of guy corrupt, i mean he's, he's like, she didn't well does the femme fatale always corrupt somebody or does it does it does the femme fatale like bring out the worst of what that i think she brings is? out the worst i don't think she necessarily corrupts somebody huh. so i mean and that's you know and and again she was the one corrupted she like we learned she was 17 years old and sure. we don't know if it's a forceful thing or whatever but like you know they had she had a relationship or at least a single encounter with with uh potentially with and, and potentially unwanted too. It's yeah. it's sort of yeah. insinuated that it was unwanted. Right. right. So yeah, I mean there's because we only have his we only have really his account until she's like, Yeah, but did you F me when I was did you have any right to F me when I was 17 or whatever? And that's that's all that's yeah. sort of she says about it. But he sort of has a you know, a glossy rose colored view of like, and it probably may, and you know, so you can only assume, but either way, because she's under 18, it's like, she doesn't have, and he's a cop and she was in trouble. Like, you know, there's a power dynamic there where he abused his oh, power. Yeah, for he, sure. he like, no matter how much they might've, she might've been into him, even if she was 18, it's still like, he's a cop. Like, yeah. you know, you don't like, yeah, you know, and and you don't know if there's any remorse on his part. So like how much darkness is in his character to begin with, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Which we really just don't see it till the end. We just don't yeah. even, it doesn't even reveal itself at all. He's pretty happy go lucky until that point. So, yeah. Right. Well, but like, what is it that like, that he is so grossly unhappy with his life and he's got a lo- loving wife and the kid and well, I think I think he wants normal. Excitement. Yeah, I right. think then, he, I think he as soon sees as he, that he's in a dead end. That that yeah. where is where is he going to go by staying in this town? You know, he wants he wants to solve the big cases and wants to get involved in the bigger picture, but there's no avenue for him. But then, what is it? Is it Dud or who was it that was like kind of like reviewing his life with him? Like you got a you've got a pretty good thing here, and he's well, like, it yeah. was yeah it was uh it's it's dead when when yeah. he's out on the porch with uh like that's that's du- that's the big city cop sort of warning like dude you don't know how good you have it like right yeah. it's the yeah. grass is always greener right like i yeah. mean it's a whole lot of that you he doesn't yeah. he doesn't know what he has because he's <laughs> daydreaming like, about some other shit 
Yeah, Dud is like, yeah, we're both cops, but if you want to, if you you wouldn't last a day on L.A. Vice Squad, like you're, yeah. you know, like be thankful you don't have to pull out your gun in 15 years or whatever yeah. he says. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it is always like you don't, you know, every, I guess every everyone's looking for a thrill, uh, mm-hmm. somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, uh, th- this movie also did kind of bring high noon kind of vibes for me. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but it's also, yeah. you know, everything building to a climactic showdown and, um, you know, where, where your lead sheriff or, you know, uh, chief here is uh, is outnumbered and outgunned. High well, noon, yeah. 310, 310 to Yuma. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Any of yeah. I felt like when I was watching it, it reminded me a lot of, more recently hell or high water you know like Mm -hmm. that like i and i don't know why but when i was watching i was like man this really gives me that kind of same sensation like feeling yeah 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 um yeah overall i just was i was very into this movie and i was really happy that uh we we rediscovered it here um so the movie, going back to sort of the production of it all, the movie is, uh, it, it finishes filming in, in May of 1991, but IRS releasing has so many, you know, can only handle a certain amount of movies at a time. And it sort of waits in the queue until IRS can come around to, you know, dealing with its release and trying to get it on home video, which was the purpose of the movie at the time. Um, you know, this was, it was intended to be straight to video. And right. of that, this would be a really high caliber straight to video of the early nineties uh, that we were talking about before. Um, you know, they start previewing it for audiences and it starts getting really solid uh, word of mouth. And the, the, the critics that are at these screenings are really giving it credibility and um, giving it, a lot of good early reviews uh, and it starts catching momentum. And this is sort of championed by actually Siskel and Ebert who reviewed the movie. And, you know, at this point in time, two thumbs up from them was a really big, important thing in the public's eye. So they, you know, rolled the dice and decided to make the move to uh, a theatrical release rather than home video. And even that, um, they couldn't afford a massive release in a thousand screens across the country. They just couldn't swing it. So mm-hmm. um, I think we should, uh, I think with that, it's time to talk about a little box office glory. All right. So One False Move finally comes out a year after finishing filming. It uh, is released May 8th, 1992. It had a $2.5 million budget and it's uh, opening weekend. It brings in a whole $44,000. That's tough. But how was it released? You know what I mean? Like, was it a wide release or was it like four walled? Like what was the, no, it was not a wide release. It was a real, it's a limited release. I actually couldn't, I had a hard time finding the exact theater count but um i know it was not a uh not a big release and, and really may 8th there's no there's no new movies coming out that weekend so it's a it's a quiet weekend anyway yeah 
But I mean, it just seems like if it's coming from a movie that was never intended to be released at a theater, yeah. Like if they're changing their mind about releasing it at a theater, they're probably doing it on a very small scale. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's really going to have to catch fire in order to make money. But I think they wanted to just get it out there, you know, get more yeah. eyes on it than straight to video. So, I mean, it, it, it starts at number 13 in opening week. It, it's between Howard's End and Daughters of the Dust. Howard's End, which had been out for quite a number of weeks already. Uh, Never even top, heard of Daughters of the Dust. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> top of the box office at that time, Basic Instinct, White Men Can't Jump, and the first Beethoven film. Hey, all right. Yeah, there you go. You get behind some Beethoven. I've seen some of those movies. Yeah, I bet you have. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, it doesn't I even make the, the top 100 of 92. So it's it, it totals out with a 1.5 million domestic run. So it doesn't it doesn't even make its budget. It, it's money back uh, theatrically probably does. OK, on uh, home video, maybe it breaks even. But um, really that was uh that's not what mattered here i mean this was a launching pad for really three people and that's paxton billy bob and and uh carl franklin who we haven't really talked about by the way um this yeah i mean this made it this made the festival rounds and carl franklin was just absolutely lavish with awards at all these like uh at 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 festivals all over like globally so like this was hitting like this was hitting a you know a critical acclaim i guess and um but you know there was no really mainstream effort and and probably you know who knows what it could have been if it because i guarantee yeah i guarantee you this wasn't released on 1500 screens this this probably was just in the big cities like new york la yeah um, and all that probably only new york and la right yeah so like you know it's it's people did recognize and even you know yeah there was even the screenplay got some hits and you know so there was like a lot of there was a buzz about this there was was, yeah and it and it turned the momentum around for for all these guys and and carl franklin by the way had been around He, he went to uc berkeley uh, he was an actor originally. You you yeah. could see him in all over seventies, you know seventies TV shows. Like he he made the rounds, but uh, uh, he, he did a he, bunch of A teams in the eighties too. Yeah, yeah. He but uh, in mm-hmm. the the early eighties he stops acting and uh, falls under the wing of Roger Corman and like like so many other people uh, learned filmmaking the the Corman way and just super low budget where they do essentially a movie a week and they're just you know really doing it uh efficiently and affordably um so that's where he kind of you know earns his stripes and and uh the one of the producers of this film jesse beaton finds him they're they're just looking for a low budget director like someone who's not going to be looking to increase the budget is gonna you know bring creativity but not at a big cost um so you know, very fortunate that that Carl Franklin found this uh, this film and and a lot all the the things we're talking about the tone and everything that's all Carl Franklin like that's all yeah. you know what his contribution to uh, on top of the performances here. Um, so you know he turns this around into I think Devil uh, Devil in a Blue Dress was that his next one with Denzel? Yeah, I think so. 
which is another a couple times, right? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. yeah. Um, which Devil in a Blue Dress is another, you know, hidden gem of the '90s that maybe we can take a look at sometime. But uh, and then Carl Franklin's had, you know, his. These are probably Devil in a Blue Dress is probably the biggest film, you know, he had. But he's had a huge right. TV career. Most yeah. recently, he's directed uh, yeah, at yeah. least the first episode of Dahmer. But I mean, he's wow. done a ton of yeah. TV. He did, I mean, he, he did, did Mindhunter. He did yeah, I mean, yeah Mindhunter. Great. Yeah. Yep. The and Leftovers. leftovers. You know, Brent, here's like, a little little trivia that I don't know if you remember, but we uh, at one point back at the College of Santa Fe to bring it back to there. Uh, I think I was like co-head of the visiting artist committee where we were trying to get uh you know people in the business to come yeah, to yeah. The school i remember lecture. a big push to try and get our buddy oh yeah bruce campbell yeah yeah oh, which I never do. made it to santa fe in those years oh, he, well that's a that's, that's a, slippery, a story for, that's a slippery oh, story that's a story oh, for another day but that's going to be on our reconsideration after dark uh confessions <laughs> that's right. yeah. episodes yep. you know so we're real just... confessions of the reconsideration <laughs> the reconsiderable yeah. uh, <laughs> i do remember that john yes but carl franklin was the next guy on the list so oh was uh, he yeah we had we had a i think a connection to him at the time this is probably 99 98 99 that uh we were going to try to bring him in but didn't end up happening but uh yeah that would have been cool then we would have had to have seen one false move at that point yeah, we probably would have screened it before uh before yeah his uh lecture or yeah. speaking engagement. But I I try to, you know, the the way I'm gauging movies now, I try to ask myself the question or, or point it, you know, point it out like, am I thinking about this movie the next day or the next week? Like, does it resonate with me? Does it do I continue thinking about it? Or once the, the credit rolls, you know, credits roll. I'm done with it. And I never really think about it again. That's kind of how I'm starting to judge movies. And for me personally, yeah, I was like, this one stuck with me for days. I was just kind of so impressed with everybody and, and having, you know, having missed it when it was right there the whole yeah. time. Hmm. What about yeah, you guys? I, I wouldn't say that this one necessarily started. I mean, I, I've, I really like this movie, but part of why i really like it is again kind of going back to what i was saying at the opening of the show is just the nostalgia that it gave me for indie filmmaking in general and it made me want to go back and kind of rewatch some of those movies uh that i haven't seen in a while you know like swingers and clerks mm -hmm. and you know i mean there's a bunch of these movies that came out again that were the beginning of so many careers and uh i don't know that these movies get talked about because the careers of these people have grown so large you know like a, a lot of what they're doing now are just you know they're always up for awards contention they're always doing big i mean john favreau who you know you know other than bit parts Ooh. here and there and and you know in rudy and shit like that like you know, like his big breakout, him and Vince Vaughn was, was swingers. And it was like, you know, that dude is like Mr. Marvel now mm -hmm. doing all, you know, I mean, he's the Star Wars, Mr. Star Wars. 
Is he doing Star yeah. Wars now too? Well, oh, yeah, yeah, Mandalorian, and yeah, he's. Oh yeah, the Mandalorian, exactly. So it's like, his, I mean, this dude with, is his guiding hand when they made the Jungle Book is essentially why we have virtual stages now. It's like yeah. you know, going to that to what Lucasfilm ended up making for Star Wars uh, series, like they were already developing the technology on Jungle Book, you know, and that he, you know, I'm not saying he's the inventor, but like his guiding hand with the the experts you know we we kind of have favreau to thank for all that you know i i would maybe i think people that work with james cameron and avatar would probably have a different argument just based off having conversations with some of them oh was do they have like virtual stages and shit like that well i mean yeah like they're like their mocap set up at at James Cameron's company is incredible and they build set pieces within that to, to, to work off of. But I think what you're talking about is different than, than what they're doing. Cause like what Favreau and them are doing are actually taking led screens and creating the imagery around you so you can act within it. And like what, what Cameron and their team are doing, you know, is, is motion capture and they're building sets within that to get the proper movements and, Oh yeah, like but they're two totally different things. So yeah, they're like they're I, like they're, they're the Venn diagram of like what they do is very close. But one is like yeah, one is interactive virtual, and one is like you know virtual virtual. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. I know what you're saying. I get, like, I get, I get it. So like the so the, the and the thing is is like for the Mandalorian, like he's wearing silver armor and all that stuff. Like mm-hmm. you get to see the live light of the yeah of exactly the sunlight like come off reflect yeah. yeah. So and like that's, that's because they've encapsulated him in this 180 degree yeah. you know environment of LED that they are basically projecting all the exterior components. Right out of yeah, it, right? I, so, yeah. Favreau or not this would have that would have been the inevitability however it came about but yeah I mean nonetheless I think, Favreau is like the you know I mean he's a huge key yeah content creator for large budget yeah. massive tentpole projects and he started as you know like kind of an independent Dude, I mean, he's just one of many. And it's like, yeah. it got me so excited about like this movie got me so excited about like going back and like looking at all that stuff and remembering yeah. all that stuff and just thinking like, man, nobody talks about a lot of that anymore because everything has blossomed into or ballooned into everything that it is now. But it's like, it's cool. You know, I mean, it goes, it, it kind of harkens back to the 70s you know, when, when, you know, your guys like Spielberg and George Lucas and, you know, all those guys were also starting to do their things. And then that started the whole big budget craze of the eighties. And, you yep. know, I mean, it's just like, it's really, it's, it's interesting, you know, like it's cyclical the way that Hollywood kind of works and, and, you know, we just happen to grow up and be just the right age to really, get to sit in the middle of that and see yeah. it all kind of happen you know well, this was it for for our generation you know we weren't alive yeah. for that 70s film movement uh the new hollywood wave and and ours our version was the indie movement of the 90s and yeah you know the the welcome to the doll houses and the the rushmores and bottle rockets and yeah i mean like, wes anderson there's yeah. another one i mean it's just like throw a dart at any like yeah the 
did everyone on the film side of the of College of Santa Fe like? Did you guys watch Swingers every weekend and be like, guys, that's gonna be us? There, like, dude. There dude, were that's... there were people who will remain <laughs> nameless who lived Swingers, <laughs> lived it. Like, yeah. Like that's LA. That's gonna be us. They're oh, yeah. young. They're hot. They're they're out there. They're 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 gonna they're doing whatever it takes to get in the business. They're gonna tell stories about their uh, you know the meeting they had. Or yeah. The I mean, Brent and I have gone to the Dresden in LA. Dude, We've, yeah. the last time I went to the Dresden was probably with you. Yeah. I think you were there. Yeah. And it was packed, man. It was a yeah. Saturday night. Marty and Elaine. Marty and Elaine were jamming. R.I.P. Marty. Yeah, for sure. And freaking Kiefer Sutherland walked in. (laughs) Uh Looked both of us like dead in our face for like two seconds. Kind of looked over us, looked around us, looked at us, and then walked right back out. And I was like, "What? What's going on, Keith? Let's hang." Yeah. I mean, it was, and this was what 2004, probably. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. So, but. yeah, that's uh, that was that was uh, that was a place, but um, yeah. What about uh, you think audiences would still connect with uh, one false move? Do you think an audience from today could pick this movie up and enjoy it? General audiences, no. You don't think so? Really? I think so. Gen- I think general, general, broad audiences. Yeah, I don't think they care. Why I mean, not? if they thought they're gonna go in, because they, because, because see... they need more. They need a little. They just like me. I need a little more. Why, why, you know? Tell me a little bit more at the climax. What's going on? I need a little. You know, I don't know. This is a little too vicious. A little too brutal. Uh, I don't know. It's not, it's not theatric. You know, it's not dramatic. It's very visceral. You know, I don't know. I would. I say think audience... if this released on a streamer, people would be pretty happy with the content. Like, I think yeah. they'd sit there and watch it. I don't think it would release in theaters. Like. Yeah, I mean now, nowadays. But get this, get this released. Get get a big, get a big Hulu push to to put this out there. I don't know. I don't know if people would. I, it's, I, I, I feel like it's kind of timeless. I don't know. Like I don't feel gosh. like it's dated really much. I think yeah, like, it's it not plays really well. Like yeah, there's nothing like too '90s about it. Um, that that puts it that that, that story could take place anytime. Sure. Yeah. Um. But I think audiences that are into your, uh, your, your films that get nominated for Oscars, you know, I think audiences that like those kinds of movies would like this. Yeah. In my, in my yeah. opinion. But I think, yeah. uh, David, I, th- I see your point. Like, I think oh, totally. audiences that go see Marvel movies, no, they're going to hard pass right. on this one, you know. But I mean, I think those same groups of people who go to the theater to see the Marvel movies are still the same peeps that are at home watching more character driven stuff on their streaming service, whichever three or four they happen to sure. subscribe to. So, yeah, some are. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe not teenagers. I don't know, or or like <laughs> yeah. or tweens or whatever, but maybe not. I think but this, this isn't for find, that group. I think this could find legs with an older. I'm not. Crowd. I'm not saying they're correct in not uh, connecting with it. I'm just saying I don't know if it has it has what it takes to connect with the modern audience like that much. Mm. Yeah, the, you would definitely pick up new fans. You totally pick up new. Oh my god, a Billy Bob Thornton movie. Oh no, an old um, Bill Paxton movie. Cool. Like, sure. I I think it has room to find new audiences for sure. Um, but it would have to be. Yeah, I, I just don't know how big and how many how my how big the legs are on this one. Yeah. You yeah. know what felt good for me about this one was that I went to my local video store 
my my brick and mortar video store, Video Tech, and I scoured the aisles just like in the old days till I found this one. So uh, yeah, I I just again everybody get out there, support your local video stores. I know it's convenient, but don't always rent your movies from from Amazon or Netflix or you know whatever. But uh, I live in the sticks, man. There's no there's no if, brick and if mortar you've video got, store where I am. If you've got a, a a a local video store, just give them some of your your business. Okay, help keep them alive. I think you have to open one, Brent. I think that's the key. I might I might yes. do it. You know, if you're there. You may as well rent uh, it'll a, be the a storefront. Re- the recon video store <laughs> i mean take your entire hard you know hard copy collection make that rentable yeah I could so was that 100 200 movies how many you got ready? oh he's uh, got more than that i've got more than that i'm sure i don't know if i don't know if you had uh you had started discarding over the you know just i i did a small age. purge but then like i realized i, I scooped up half of those so <laughs> yeah I but mean, you purged probably... too didn't you no i never did you never purged okay no. i mean i uh, yeah i i was trying to get rid of them before the big move and then ultimately i was like you know what like this the so space yeah. and weight that these take don't really warrant tossing them like mm-hmm. i should just keep them and that's a good point put them in storage and would we like, say 500 Ah, uh, yeah, five hundred thousand. I don't know, fifteen thousand. Do you have a thousand titles ready to go? I mean, I'd have to. I, I do. Yeah, dig them out. But yeah, I've got, I've got a pretty. It's funny. I, I don't buy heart. Like I don't buy disc anymore. Like now, I just do digital. But yeah, for a long time, like I was buying DVDs. You, you could be opening a. You could open a small rental store. You only need like two hundred square feet. You could just. I could start my own red box. There you, there go. you go. Yeah, Brent's box. Brent's box. Brent's box. Brent's box. Yep. Well, one false move should be in there, guys. So uh, it should be. I'd have to pick this yeah. one up. Go get a go get a copy of it for two hundred dollars. I'm sure it would cost. Yeah, I right would with uh, co- cocoon. Yeah, there you go. I would recommend this one big time for any fan of Billy Bob Thornton, of Bill Paxton. <laughs> if you like Carl Franklin, uh, Cindy Williams is great. Um, you know, just. Good cast, good story, good, um, you know, low budget crime movie. Uh, if you like independent film, definitely pick this yeah. one up. But so I high recommendation for me. Yeah, I agree. I like it. Yeah, go see it. <laughs> <laughs> that is a ringing endorsement. A ringing endorsement. <laughs> that well, that wasn't the original question. So yeah, no, I'd say if it's it's worth yeah, it's worth seeing. Yeah, yeah, do it. Uh, all right. Well, I'm excited about our next episode, too. So uh, stay tuned. We're going to be looking at these kinds of movies all year long, 2023. Uh, next week, er, our next episode, it's going to be our first dive into animation. Oh, shit. We're going to go way back, way, way back. David, get it ready next. Day. Get get the machine oiled up mm-hmm. for 1981. Uh, we're going to take a look back at Heavy Metal. There you go. So everybody stay tuned for that. That's going to be really fun looking at that one. Lots of things that I know off the top of my head are not going to hold up for today's audience. <laughs> oh, definitely <laughs> you not. think? But uh, we'll deep dive that next time. Uh, don't forget to check us out on social media. We're Reconsideration Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. 
Uh, don't forget to check out our archives at reconsideration.com. Drop us a rating and a review. It, it helps the show. It boosts it up. Uh, we always appreciate that. Check out our friends uh, E.K. Wimmer on his podcast, Laser Graves. And thank you to our friend Curtis Moore for the poster. Uh, that being said, great to look back at Bill Paxton. You know, we're not getting any new Bill Paxton movies, unfortunately, anymore. So really, really cool to see a hidden gem that we missed. No doubt. Uh, all right. Well, we'll see you guys next time on Reconsinimation. Take care. Bye now. Coming out of movies, my dad would talk about he'd talk about the lighting or, or the, the actors Taylor or, or he would call attention to the artifice of films. And I started really falling in love with the illusion of acting. And, and as I fell in love with acting, I was really falling in love with the lighting, the art direction, the music, the set, the photography, all of it. Nice night for a walk, eh? <laughs> nice night for a walk. Wash day tomorrow. Nothing clean, right? <laughs> Nothing clean, right. Hey, I think this guy's a couple cans short of a six-pack. Good morning, turd brain. Hi, Jet. Now make yourself one, dickweed. <laughs> I am the ultimate badass. Yes, State of the badass art. You do not want to fuck with me. All right, knock it off, knock it off. Thank you. <laughs> it wasn't funny, man. You don't have to be sorry. It wasn't your fault. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What are we gonna do now? What are we gonna do? Evening. Evening. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be my pleasure and honor to invite you two lovely ladies for a drink. All right. All right. <laughs> Finger licking good. Hey, Jess, I got smell like a dead pole cat. So I go in for my physical, right? And the doctor says, I need a semen, stool, and urine sample. I say, gee, doc, I'm in a big hurry. Can I just leave my underwear? Hey! Hey, are your balls okay? Fine. How are yours? Hey, do you mind? It's my sister. Wait, what? Oh, you're not my sister, are you? Don't you see what this means? This is it! This is the beginning of everything! Oh, oh, I've been waiting for this all my life! Oh, my life! I love you, okay? You know that, don't you? I know that. I love that little girl in that room more than anything in this world. I know that, too. Would you look at all those stars? I mean, you look up and you think God made all of that? still remember to make a little speck like me. Kind of flattering, really.
we say a covert operation, and this one, well, got a little rough. Worse than Cairo? Cairo. Cairo is a day at the beach next to this. I'm not a spy. I'm nothing. I'm naval lint. I have to lie to women to get laid. And, and, I, and I don't score much. I got a little dick. It's pathetic. Hey, I'm hungry. Are you sure? I could eat the ass out of a dead rhinoceros. Houston, we have a main bus A undervolt now, too. Uh, it's reading 25 and a half. Main bus B is reading zip right now. Uh, we got a wicked shimmy up here. Y'all just sit back and you whine and you complain like you always do, but you don't do nothing. A war comes up, do you fight? Hell no, you protest. Try fighting for something, putting your life on the line before you start talking to me about powerful things. Joe, things go wrong. You can't explain it. You can't predict it. Killing yourself won't bring your dad back. I'm sorry he died, but it was a long time ago. You gotta move on. Stop living in the past and look at what you got right in front of you. It's coming! It's headed right for us! It's already here. Everybody underground now! Seeing her coming out of the darkness like a ghost ship still gets me every time to see the sad ruin of the great ship sitting here where she landed at 2.30 in the morning of April 15, 1912 after her long fall from the world above. <laughs> you were so full of shit, boss. <laughs> I want to be happy. I want a wife and kids. Me and you sitting around the porch drinking late at night. Well, goddammit, this is what it costs. Right here, right now. There's nothing to be afraid of, Tiger. We've been chosen by God. He will protect us. He's given us special jobs to do. We don't fear these demons. We destroy them. We, we pick them up one by one and we pitch them out of this world. That's God's purpose for us. All along this trip, I've been looking for your presence. I haven't found you anywhere. And I don't feel you here. You killed my sons. The murderous sons. Not guilty till proved innocent. Men like you, who deserved a fair trial. I pray you hang. I will supply the lumber for the gallows. You remember that speech you used to give us, Nick? About how one man can accomplish anything once he realizes he can be something bigger? Well, now I am. A part. A part of something bigger. Is that how it went? Not a great listener. The good news is there's hope for you, Private. Hope in the form of glorious combat. Battle is the great redeemer, the fiery crucible in which the only true heroes are forged. The one place where all men truly share the same rank, regardless of what kind of parasitic scum they were going in. Hey, brah! Five fatals! I'm screaming out of the fucking sky! All it up with the brush on fire! Mine! 
exclusive. I'm banging, you know? I was trying to hook you up, man. I was trying to teach you something. <laughs> Welcome to the future, brah. Going to Hollywood, gush me boy. You're going to Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood? Do you hear that, Marty? I'm going to Hollywood. <laughs> you lucky guy. Well, sir, I guess I am a lucky guy at that. You know, I hardly ever lose a coin toss. Though the horse races in hot springs, bet a long shot damn if somebody just doesn't come in. My mom used to always tell me I was born under a lucky star. I never dreamed I'd ever get to do something like this. Come up here on a real mission. Most of the guys I graduated high school with never even left home. Here I am. Oh, yeah. Here you are.